Welcome to episode 89 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is committed to having a complete and balanced breakfast, mm-hmm. Absolutely, Scott Sloat. I can't believe you've never heard that term. We were talking pre-pod about breakfast, yeah. and I made the comment about a balanced breakfast. Well, you started off with a round breakfast. A round breakfast. That's true. I could not remember. <laughs> like I have no idea the, what a the, round breakfast. The marketing term that was uh, a balanced breakfast. Okay. And, and then everything in those commercials, Rice Krispies, part of a balanced breakfast, Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, part of a balanced breakfast, you know. <laughs> and it, it got a little ridiculous that they were showing breakfast with like this bowl of cereal, four eggs, bacon, right, toast. bananas, yes, strawberries, yes. like yes, grapefruit. Yeah. Like who eats that way for breakfast? I don't know. I don't know. And I love breakfast food, but I'm not a big breakfast food eater in the morning. Yeah. Love me some breakfast food, but – some some Brenner perhaps, <laughs> some clunch, some clunch, yeah, yeah, clunch. Kate's lunch. Mm-hmm. So, so we are recording on a Monday afternoon, and uh, I think before we dive into our uh, into our into our show, I think we need to acknowledge that there are some changes coming to the Vault Studio. Oh yeah, well some some interesting changes. Uh, number one, we just learned today. We've known for a while. Um, somebody is taking our vault door away. Yes. So it is. I don't know where it's. Well, I do. I do know where it's going to be. Well, not specifically where, but what it what it will be used for. What's that? Um, somebody has purchased it, and they're putting it as the entrance to their man cave in their house. <laughs> and so you'll be able to go to their house and basically open up a bank vault into this this guy's man cave of some kind. How much do you think that goes for? How much does it? How much does it cost to buy? A vault door. I have no idea. It's got. It's got to be thousands. I, thousands upon. That thousands. thing is thick. Yeah, it's. What would you say? Four or five inches thick. Yeah. And how do you mount that? I mean, obviously, that's not just sort of a standard door that you kind of throw yeah, you, some hinges on. You yeah, know? you just can't put it in a stud, <laughs> and you'll be fine. You know. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't know. And then what's the other change? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, historically, you and I have come in here, and there is this little. Uh, what material is that? Like, is it a little plastic I sign plastic, yeah. that looks like faux wood, right? Yes. And it has the letters in white, recording in progress or something on it. Yeah. And v- virtually everybody ignored that sign. Yeah, yeah. We've been interrupted at least once, maybe twice, with people coming in w- in the midst of our recording. I think at least twice, yes. Well, today we're walking into the vault studio, and I go to flip the sign – as is our custom. Yes. It's not there. I'm like feeling the wall, looking for it. it, it you know, it's it's just not there. Well, all of a sudden, I look up and there is a full light and it says on air. Yes. That we can now turn on. Yes. And off, but turn on while we're in here recording. And it it has a veneer of professionalism. Yeah, it's 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 a legit professional one. Yeah. Um. Which I don't know that's what we are. <laughs> well, we're professional something. I don't think we're professional podcasters. No, but, no. Um, we, are, we are professional something, I think. But those are the changes. Anything else you'd, you'd add to our changes? No, I think that's, I think that's enough. I mean, I, I'm, I'm encouraged that uh, – I like the on-air 
uh, little light that we could flip. I'm not optimistic that it's going to make one that it's going to stop people. That it's yeah. going to stop people. I agree. But um, well, if you would like to connect with the show, we're we're on most forms of social media. That's probably not even true. We're on a couple forms of social media. We are on Twitter. Yep. At VNS Pod. We're on Facebook, yep. various sundry podcast, and we also have an email address that I'm told you check. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Most of the time, it's just spam, spam emails, trying to say like, "Oh my gosh, your podcast is amazing, and I love it." I know that's not true, <laughs> um, and they're trying to get us to buy something to enhance our podcast. Yes, yeah, yes, indeed, that's what it mostly is. Yes, so that email address is variousandsundrypodcast at gmail dot com. We're on YouTube as well. We are not on Insta. No, we're not on TikTok. Oh goodness, no! <laughs> no one wants to see either of us Gosh, dancing. No. So that kind of rules out TikTok. But um, one thing you could do. I mean, if you're so disposed, would be to head over to the Apple Podcast app or whatever platform you access the podcast on and leave a five-star rating and a nice, lovely review. I did check before the show. No new reviews as of uh, about a half hour before the show. Okay. So in any case, so big weekend of sports. Big, big weekend. It's nice to have football back on. Yep, yep. Seems to dominate Saturday and Sunday now. Yeah. Did you watch – like how much football did you watch this weekend? Um, This weekend, I – so I had some house projects I was working on and I had the Ohio State game on. Uh, and so I was working in the garage mostly. And so I would come in and out, um, was painting a few things and, and was able to check the score, see – you know, try to get a vibe for the game, go back out into the garage work. Yep. So I did a little bit of that. I don't know – you know, putting an hour percentage on that, uh, maybe half hour of the game I saw. Sure. Cumulative probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Sunday I watched a 1 o'clock game all the way through and watched probably the first quarter of Green Bay, New Orleans, which was a wild game. So yeah. what is that? Five hours of football this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. How about yourself? Uh, a few more than five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Like, here's how I justify it. I'm rarely, with the exception probably of the Ohio State game, just watching football. Mm-hmm. It's on in the background, whether I'm doing yep. a house project, whether I'm reading, whether I'm doing a little course prep or just other things. Like, I'm almost always doing something else with that kind of going on in the background. So that's how I justify it. But let's uh, – Let's start with Saturday and uh, let's talk about Ohio State losing to Oregon. Yeah. Um, what What are your thoughts? Like what 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 happened? I mean, or- Oregon's a good team. Oregon is a good team. Um, it was a winnable game, and I still think Ohio State should have won. Oregon deserved to win. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me before I say anything else. On that day. Oregon was the better team. They were better coached, better prepared. They deserved to win that game. Ohio State still had some chances though along the way. Um, Let's start with the positives. Let's start with the positives. Um, Ohio State's quarterback is a a redshirt freshman and in his second start, he threw for 484 yards. 
34 of 54, I think, for 484 yards and um, three touchdowns. Okay. He had one interception late in the game, probably trying to force things because, you know, they're down a touchdown. So, sure. Uh, you know, he played well. He missed some throws that had he hit them, we might have won the game. Okay. But it's not his fault we lost. Um, and, the, of course, there are the, there's the idiot lunatic fringe of every fan base. Blaming him, of course, for losing us the game, despite the fact that in his second start, he threw for the second most yardage in Ohio State history. And, you know, so. Yeah. Doesn't sound like his fault. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Um, The fault rests squarely on the defense. Mm. Our defensive coordinator is terrible. I'm not the guy that likes to be the let's call for someone to be fired. But I'm going to make an exception <laughs> with this. This is the start of his second year. And he um, – you know, last year, he's never been a coordinator. Last year was COVID. You're like, I don't know. Is it fair to judge anything in, during a COVID year? Sure. Maybe not or at least you kind of have that those doubts. He had all offseason to fix the issues. And in the first game against Minnesota, they were like, yeah, there's still some concerning signs. And then this game was like – he just got embarrassed in terms of being outcoached, outschemed, and one of the, the biggest frustration, honestly, is we're not even at a point where we're getting guys lined up properly before the snap. That's a sign of bad coaching. The talent is there, but um, he just, yeah, he should not survive after this season, barring some dramatic improvements. And so I'm to the point now where obviously I want Ohio State to win, but unless they make almost unheard of improvements, I don't want them to make the college football playoff because a team like Alabama might hang 80 on that defense. It's that bad. So the way Ohio State's going to win games this year is going to be the offense is going to have to score 45 plus and hope that the defense can get an occasional stop. So uh, deeply disappointing on that front. Elsewhere in college football, um, Iowa – has put together a strong start to the season. And if you're just looking at who has had the best start to the year, Iowa looks like they are the the strongest team in the Big Ten right now. So they beat Indiana last week. Yes, and then they beat Iowa State. Iowa State. And that was – was that a 9-10? Yes. Okay. On the road at Iowa State. So good win That's for them. That's a good win. Yep. Um, I'm trying to find the Indiana score. What, what, they beat oh, – they played Idaho, I think. I mean – yeah, I, from what I remember, the score was not close. So I think they're you know kind of riding the ship a little bit. But John, what we need to talk about is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Okay, what 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 specifically about the Fighting Irish? They they played Toledo. They did this weekend. Okay, they had to score within the last two minutes of the game to win that game. That's not a pretty win at home. So I don't think our Irish fans are, are probably too happy right now with the state of things in South Bend. But um, yeah, so I mean that brings me some small measure of okay. enjoyment, you know, that uh, Ohio State definitely has its struggles. But if I'm going to pick losing to number 12 Oregon by a touchdown, I'll take that over barely squeaking by Toledo against Toledo at home. Anyway, I don't think either of those teams are college football playoff material unless something dramatic changes in the future year. So there's your college football. 
Okay. Let's talk some NFL, John. Tell us about your Jets. Yeah. Um, well, expectations are not high for the Jets. Uh, so they had a, an abysmal first half. Um, really played pretty pretty poorly. Didn't score. Did not score. Um, I think they had under 100 yards of offense in the first half. I mean, it, w- it was bad. However, second half, they, they seemed to put some things together and, uh, and hung uh, uh, 14 points on the Panthers and, and I think gave up one field goal in the uh, in the okay. second half. So so they lost 19-14, I think, 19-14, right? yep. Okay. And Zach Wilson threw two touchdowns. Your favorite Mormon? My my favorite Mormon, yeah. Which I, I think is a great line. Um, <laughs> might be a little insensitive to our to our audience in Utah, but... Do uh, we have an audience in Utah? Have not that I'm aware that of. we have downloads in Utah? I'm not sure we do. Maybe that might be do. one of the states we're missing. Um, <laughs> Maybe. But uh, yeah, yeah. So overall encouraged... Um, to see Zach Wilson uh, do that. Um, Our defense is nothing to write home about, but, you know, held him. him, He gave up 19 points. You're in the game. In the NFL, I feel like if you give up less than 20, you should win the game. Mm -hmm. In college, I feel like if you give up less than 30, you should probably win the game. Mm -hmm. I think the number is a little different, but still. Agreed. There's some numbers where you're like, I'm sorry, if you only give up 19 points in the NFL, you should win that game. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I feel pretty good. I need I need to watch some more things and and listen to some podcasts. Yeah, to one get a, game to get a full breakdown. And and I'm excited to see Zach Wilson. You know, through through for over 250 yards or around 250 yards, mm-hmm. two touchdowns. First yeah. NFL game, mostly in the second half. Yeah, I'm pretty pleased. Yeah. And um, anything else? What, what are, anything else that stood out to you from the NFL weekend when it comes to other games? Well, uh, Packers lost to New Orleans, the Jameis Winston, New Orleans, uh, the Saints. Yeah, um, big time, like over thirty to like a field it's goal, like thirty-eight three or something. Yeah, like some something crazy. It, it was wild in Lambeau, was it not? In, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh no, I think it was supposed to be in New Orleans, but because of the hurricane, they've moved it. Oh, okay. So I think it's elsewhere, but I think it's in the southeast. I'm trying to remember the. I situation. remember seeing it was outside, and I think I just assumed yes. that it was um, at Lam- Lambeau. But I didn't watch that game. I was actually in the in this in the four o'clock window. I actually watched the first half of the Browns Chiefs game. Oh, and that was very good, entertaining. I only saw the first half. Browns looked good in the first half. I didn't see the second half. Chiefs came back and won. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean. I know if you're a Browns fan, you're disappointed that you lost because mm-hmm. that was a game that you were leading and, and had control of at points. But I, I think at some level you have to be pleased that you're right there. I mean you're, you're, you're very competitive with the best team in the AFC on the road. The Chiefs so, were a lot of people's Super Bowl pick. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I think there's, there's reason to be hopeful there. But um, and then last night I watched with a, a little bit of the Rams um, Bears game just to see if Justin Fields got any playing time. How many passes did he have? He threw he threw one pass. Okay, it's complete. They they they, they look like they're using him in uh, kind of short yardage and in, in the red zone. So he had a rushing touchdown. That's pretty interesting. So they are getting him in, but they're they're almost treating him just like a specialty package kind of play. Or yeah, kind of thing. So. Uh, if they do that for a year, and he's able to see the field and get a get used to being in a game without having the weight of the game mm-hmm. on him, it may be it may be a helpful thing. Yes, I'm torn because I want him to play, but I also 
I've also seen enough high draft picks get thrown in too early and sure. it destroys them. So, yeah, I, I think – I'm not familiar with that at all. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, seriously. So uh, it's just nice to have football back though, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yes, yes. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, also, a highlight from Sports Weekend, Mets took two of three from the Yankees. Uh, Francisco Lindor hit three home runs last night to uh, wow. to beat the Yankees. So that was very exciting. Okay. Yeah, that's and, – and that was clearly a um, – like a – an intentionally scheduled around 9-11 series. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, they all wore uh, – uh, did you watch the Mets-Yankees on 9-11? No, but I think I saw a clip where – was it the Yankees had the, – their caps were like Fire Department New York, FDNY or something like that. Or yeah, maybe that so was one of, just one of the they players, had – they – yeah, so the players all had like basically Fire Department, Port Authority, NYPD. They, they had all those hats and one other and they were kind of randomized – Throughout the players, so there was no Mets hat, there was no Yankees hat yeah. for the game. Uh, it was all about the different uh, public servants, basically. Yes, yeah, which was pretty cool. Nice touch, nice yeah. touch. So that leads into our our topic for today, and um, you know, we debated, and it, it felt like this was an appropriate thing for us to spend some time talking about. Is just on the tw- now the twentieth anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, to just reflect a little bit mm-hmm. on um, on that day, on our experience, and kind of takeaways from that. So, uh, John, let me start with uh, with you. How old were you? Where were you <laughs> when this happened? Uh, I was 13, so 13 years old. Um, I was in school, obviously. I think it was a Tuesday? It was. Okay. Um, I was in school, uh, and I remember what what city or like what oh, where, yeah. where were you living? Uh, we were living in Chattanooga, Tennessee, okay. at the time, um, and I had been in goodness. Uh, I'd been in a class, and I remember the teacher coming in and going, "Hey, just wanted to let everybody know a, a plane has struck one of the twin towers." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think at that point, that was the point of the day where we thought it was a basically a propeller plane that got out, got out of control right. and hit one of these towers. Yep. Um, and then uh, and then by the time I got to my next period class, which was history, oddly enough, yeah. they had it on the TV and they had it uh, – we, we spent the whole class period watching uh, things unfold. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Where were you? So we were living in Chicago. I was in my um, second year of seminary. Okay. At Trinity. And um, so I remember I was – the house we lived in at the time, The um, our bedroom was like a loft that looked over the living room. And I remember my, my wife was watching the Today Show and um, she yelled up and said, hey, you should come check this out. A plane hit the World Trade Center. And then that sort of started it um, mm-hmm. in terms of just kind of watching it. She went off to, to teach at the homeschool co-op. And then, of course, for the rest of the morning, I was glued to the television. Yeah. So um, what are some of the things that as you look back now that stand out to you about that day? 
Yeah, that was that was a that was a weird day. I think it was for everybody, but it was um, particularly weird. Uh, we had left. My family lived on Long Island uh, up until I was seven years old, and so there were still memories from there. There were still friends uh, that were there, uh, and so one of one of the things that I remember about that day is being very fearful for my grandfather. Mm. Uh, we had just. Up, up until that point of life, up until I was 11, 12, mm-hmm. uh, w- at that age, he started inviting our entire family to his World War II Army reunions. Hmm. And so we used to get together with his unit once a year in a, in a different city or place mm-hmm. and used to uh, they used to tell stories. They had uh, different performers, you know, you know, come in and work with their troop or what have you. And everybody's family would come. And it was it was always a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I remember it was the weekend before 9-11 that this, that this happened. Mm-hmm. And so I remember – and I knew my grandfather was traveling back uh, to, to New York. It was, he was still living on Long Island at the time. And I just remember being like concerned for him, Yeah, you know, just, just driving through the city, uh, trying to get there. And so I, re- I remember bursting into tears in my first period cl- – or my second period class just like, what about my grandfather? Um, so that was part of it. He, he ended up getting home on the 10th. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe he learned about uh, the towers getting hit from the from seeing the smoke from his house. Mm. Um, so there was that angle that I was nervous about. We also had our next door neighbor when we had lived in New York was a Queen City firefighter. Mm. And so uh, trying to get in touch with him and his family to see if he was all right. And it sounds like him and his unit arrived at the tower or were in transit to the tower when the first one fell. Okay, And then um, – We'd had another neighbor in South Carolina who was working in the State Department at the time. Um, and if you remember from that morning, uh, there was reports a car bomb went off outside the State Department. Hmm. I don't remember that. Oh, really? No. Um, I, I vividly remember that. And uh, and so we were nervous for him and so trying to get in touch with him and his wife. Yeah. turns out everybody was was safe and okay. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, th- those are some of the memories I have is like checking on these different connections that we had to make sure everybody was okay. And then I, and then I just remember – a lot of anger, mm-hmm. a lot of sadness, um, a lot of confusion. Um, I don't think I knew much about – I don't think I could have told you what Islam was at that time. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I remember a lot of those emotions and trying to, trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, how about yourself? What do you remember? Yeah, I, I just remember the um, – again, I was, I was a little older. Uh, I, I just remember very early on, like once – once the second plane hit and it was clear like this is terrorism. This was not some sort of freak terrible accident sure. but like the country's under attack mm-hmm. uh, pretty early on and then then you know the plane hits the Pentagon and just this sense of how many more of these are there? Like when is this going to – like when are we going to reach the like – <sighs> OK, like yeah. we can take a breath and we can just sort of figure out, you know, that extending even into the into the early afternoon, right? Because they were still – there were planes unaccounted for and they're trying to figure out like, well, we think we got all the planes down but we're not sure. And then um, I remember, uh, you know, by the end of the day, uh, one of the things that was very strange is that – so where we lived in Chicago was in 
one of the flight paths for Chicago O'Hare Airport. Not one of the major ones, but enough where we had a relatively steady stream of air traffic over our over our property. Mm-hmm. Not in like where it's really, really loud, but you know, enough where you like you notice it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And by middle of the afternoon, still a beautiful, clear, mm-hmm. sunny day. It was eerily quiet Hmm. because there was no air traffic going on overhead. Hmm. And that was the case for the next like three days Yeah, where um, the skies were just empty and quiet and just like – that's just surreal to think about. Um, And then of course I think it was – was it – I forget how many days later but you know one of those sort of definitive um, moments – was when um, when Bush went to visit the wreckage, the the ruins of the yeah. of the towers. Yeah, and he stood up on on the rubble, and he's standing with next, the megaphone. Yeah, yeah, standing next to the firefighter, who's mm-hmm. clearly you know just like he's tired, but he has that sort of grim determination on mm-hmm. his face, and you know. W puts his arm around him and has that iconic moment of you know someone out in the crowd says we can't hear you and he says I can hear you and the people who took down these towers will hear yeah. from all of us mm-hmm. um, that's just one of those iconic moments in American oh, yeah. history where and you know I'm not going to get into a political discussion about George W Bush but I will say his um, his confidence, his um, – dare I say his moxie, <laughs> I think at least for me and I think a lot of Americans was a welcome, refreshing like, OK, we took a punch and it was a doozy. But we're going to start throwing our own punches here mm-hmm. real soon. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a big rallying cry for, I think so. for the nation. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, that's one of those things that, that stands out to me uh, as well. What about you in terms of like the aftermath, like maybe some of the, the days, the weeks and even the months after that? Like what was your perception of of how things had changed, life in general, like that kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, in, where we were living in Tennessee, I, I remember there was some nervousness around Tennessee specifically. So you wouldn't know this unless you lived in the area, but there's this thing called Tennessee Valley Authority, um, and I, I, it's a nuclear plant, and uh, it provides power for most of the southeast. Yeah, and so everybody was like, "Oh my gosh, we're we're right in the heart of, you know, when they pick back up, you know, th- this could be a spot right. they hit, yeah. you know." Um, so th- there was some of that. There, there was like a fairly constant bit of fear. I remember. Goodness, the guy with the shoe bombs was like – felt like a week after all that picking up where they left off. Do you remember the guy with the shoe bombs? I do. I think that was more like December though. I think okay. it was several months. In my, in my 13-year-old brain, it was two weeks later. Right. You know? um, <laughs> so I, I remember a lot of, a lot of fear, uh, still confusion, trying to trying – to, you know, I was 13, trying to, yeah. put, trying to put the world together yeah. in a lot of ways because I was – I was probably at a spot then where I thought every other country was a third world country at that time. Right. And why wouldn't they aspire to be us? You know, that, that sure. was sort of my yeah. my 13-year-old brain putting everything together. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, I think some of the some of the aftermath. I've been to the uh, to the World Trade Center site twice mm-hmm. um, since uh, 
since they've put it up. And um, one time I went on my own when it was still under construction. They were still building it and got to go to the museum and walk around uh, the, the holes where the towers are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, have you have you been I've there? I've never been there, no. So it's it's worth the price of admission. I'm sure, um, yeah. Just to walk around and just see how giant those towers were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to see all the names of the people uh, lined up there. And I went there with my dad uh, about, gosh, probably 10 years ago now. And we walked around and, and found names of people he knew mm. um, that were in the building. He knew uh, the, the manager of the restaurant on the top floor uh, mm-hmm. of the World Trade Center, a pretty, pretty, you know, pretty excellent position to have normally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but walked around and found high school friends of his and f- coworkers or people that he had business dealings with who, who perished that mm. day. So yeah, that was that was a sobering yeah. um, experience in ways that we uh, that that the after, aftermath still feel like, you know, uh, feel feels like it affects me. Um, yeah, and you know, I still I still get emotional about it even even this mm-hmm. weekend watching yep. tributes and those sorts of things. Yeah, I remember just the the pervasive sense of what's next. Yeah, just this this almost cultural certainty of there's going to be more. Mm -hmm. And it may not be the like necessarily the same kind of attack. You know, it may not be airplanes being hijacked and flown into buildings, but something else. Um, And so I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was an anthrax scare. Do you remember this? Yes. Yes. Anthrax was Mm -hmm. sent in letters to, to Congress. Uh, to people in Congress, and so there was a big scare of is this part of it, and I'm not sure they ever really fully figured out what was going on with that. Um, but I just remember this pervasive sense of cultural fear of yeah. we're going to get hit again. Where's it coming from? What's mm-hmm. next? And I think it shattered just this um, this false sense of security that yeah. we as Americans had of. Those kinds of things happen over there. Yeah. And, you know, we're the greatest country in the world and we're, we've got two oceans, mm-hmm. you know, one on each side that protects us kind of from these kind of crazy things in, in general terms. And then, um, you know, this happens and it just shatters that illusion of, of invulnerability that a lot of Americans had. I, I remember one plane f- flight I had before 9-11. Um, we were going to a wedding. We were living in South Carolina at the time. We went to a wedding in New Hampshire, and we obviously flew into Boston. And mm-hmm. and I remember my parents for this wedding bought them steak knives, and they wanted to make sure that it didn't get damaged on uh, through through checked luggage. Yeah, and so they brought it as a carry on <laughs> yeah. steak knives. Yeah, and and it, 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 they just went, "What's in here?" Well, it's a wedding gift, the steak knives. Oh, okay, you know, and they just they just sort of let it go on through, like it was like it was no big deal. Totally. Um, right now, you'd end up in a room. You might get roughed up a little bit. You know, there's yeah. there's there's a lot of things. Yeah, uh, the the world has changed in that. Totally, way. totally. Um, I, I was struck this week by uh, my wife and I watched one one program on nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Because we just did not want to descend into the spiral of sadness yeah. that reflecting on 9-11 can certainly bring. Mm-hmm. But the program that we watched, um, it followed – so there was a camera crew 
that was following around this um, – he wasn't a fire chief. I, I don't remember – I don't know, remember how the rankings work in within the fire department. You know, chief and you know lieutenants and all, yeah. all those sorts of things. I'm ignorant of that, so my apologies. It's not intended to offend <laughs> to anyone. the firefighting community. Our, yes. A large listenership out yes. there. Yes. Yeah. Um, but this camera crew was following this this fire crew around, and they were checking out a gas leak like 14 blocks away from the World Trade Center on the morning of 9/11, hmm. and it starts with them just kind of following along, you know, like, okay, they're just checking this gas leak. And then this camera crew is the is the crew that caught about the only footage of oh, the very yeah. first plane that hit the hit the first tower. Wow. And so you see the camera looking at this like grate where they're checking for this gas leak. And then you can start to hear the plane coming overhead and you see the camera pan up. And then quickly like move to the mm. left and you see the first plane go into the towers and you see – you hear people's reactions, the gasps, the the shrieks, the, the oh my god kind of language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then instantly that fire crew is like in the vehicles and they are just busting it mm. to, uh, to, the, to the Twin Towers. But then th- this was the most disturbing part of, of watching this. This camera crew continued to follow them and they're in um, – they are in the lobby of one of the towers. I forget which one. And they're figuring out what their – like their plan of attack to get up and you know evacuate and rescue people. And you start to hear this loud – like on the, on the awning or like the covering there and – you see all these firefighters like look up and they realize what's happening. Those are people yeah, jumping. Yeah, those are jumpers. Yeah. And you hear that, oh, that sound like every like 20 to 30 seconds, mm. there's another one and another one. And you can just see the looks on these firefighters' faces like – what is happening? Like they know what's happening, but just like this is not real. Like this mm-hmm. can't be happening. Um, but th- that to me just gets me to yeah. And, you know, and then they showed some of the close-up footage of like people hanging out of the tower and you know waving white towels or something to try to get attention. And it's just like I I can't put myself in that in that spot to think about. You're forced to make the choice. I can either burn to death mm-hmm. or jump to my death. Those are my options. Yeah. Like I, I have no third option available to me. Um, just so sobering. And um, it it's one of those things where I don't enjoy thinking about that or reflecting on that. But I do think it's necessary. Um. Just to remember what it was like um, on that day, how how unspeakably awful it was that uh, that those attacks happened, and people faced with just unspeakably awful kinds of choices. Especially as you think about the college students that we teach, John, they don't remember it. They either weren't alive, yeah. Like my my youngest son, who is a third year student here at Grace, he was like. Three months old, four months old when this happened. 
obviously no memory of it. Yes. I made the mistake of going, none of you were alive for 9-11 a couple of days ago in class. And they're like, well, yes, I was. I was three months old. I was yeah. like, OK. I, I understand what you're saying None here. of you remember it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So you guys watched the documentary. We did. The- yeah. We watched um, like the first episode. National Geographic has th- had this series of – and this was – this one focused on the first responders. OK. So interviewing a um, a fire captain or chief, you know, and you see the you see the pictures of him on that day, mm-hmm. and then you see you know him today, twenty years older, sure, and um, you know, hearing him make statements like, "I remember standing in a circle of of firefighters around me and giving them instructions." And I'm the only one standing in that circle who survived that day. Oh gosh, yeah, you know. Um, so anyway, I, I think it's important for us to, to pause on a, on a, on a day like, this, especially at the 20 year mark, um, because you and I are both big believers in the importance of studying and understanding history mm-hmm. and its value. And I do think a lot of people who even were alive for that and old enough to remember it have often forgotten some of the lessons that we learned in the aftermath of that and in, you know, I, I fear that we as a nation are in danger of repeating some of those mistakes that led up to mm-hmm. those kind of attacks. Um, I uh, I did not watch that documentary. I think I saw that documentary. Is that the Hulu one? It is on Hulu, yeah. Okay. I saw that. I didn't think I could commit the emotional energy to it. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I did uh, – well, I watched the, the, the Mets Yankees had a pretty um, – mm-hmm. Pretty excellent tribute to uh, 9-11 that night. Um, but I also uh, – and this will get into one thing I like later. But uh, the ESPN short, 30 for 30 short mm-hmm. first pitch, uh, yes. which kind of captures that day and then – Which was like maybe a week after 9-11? When 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 you talk about when Bush threw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium, yeah, it was end of October when he threw out the first pitch. Because oh, when was that the, much later? Okay, yes, yes, because it's when uh, you know baseball playoffs were commencing okay. by the by the end of the month, by gotcha. the end of October. Gotcha. Um, so the he threw out the first pitch at Game Three of the World Series, Yankees against uh, the Diamondbacks, and even even just like he he's interviewed in that, and mm-hmm. and he has such a such a good demeanor when yeah. it comes to those sorts of things. And yep. yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, uh, we were planning to go to Costco on Saturday. And so I'm downstairs waiting for my wife and I just, I just pop this on and she comes down there. I'm, I'm on full tears, you know, <laughs> uh, and she's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And I was like, I showed her what I was watching. And she was yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I do remember that. Um, and him wearing, he was wearing a bulletproof vest underneath yep. his jacket and, he uh, and then and then the other thing I did to commemorate is I listened to Tim Keller's sermon uh, uh, the Sunday following 9/11. Hmm. I also listened to that as well. Yeah, I remember what my pastor preached that Sunday. Uh, he preached out of Hebrews about a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hmm. It was such a good example of a pa- of pastoral wisdom and care that showed the appropriate like oh yeah grief and sorrow and yet a we have a kingdom that can't cannot be destroyed by even the most evil intent of people like this. Yeah. So which is in a pastor in a moment like that as a pastor, you gotta pivot. Yeah. You you can't yeah. you can't 
go through with preaching whatever it was you were going to preach. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I don't think there's any easy way to make a transition from that to our athletes. So we'll just make a clunky one. John, yeah. this is episode 89. Yeah. We need an athlete. Well, we got we got some options, I'd say. Uh, Mike Ditka. Doc Coach. Coach Ditka. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was a tight end for the Bears and the Eagles and the Cowboys, though I think he became most famous for being the coach of the Chicago Bears. Winning the 85 Super Bowl. Yes. Yep. Yes. And that mustache. That mustache. Iconic. And the cigars. It feels like he's always got a, a beautiful mustache and a cigar yes. in his mouth. But really, don't you think what cemented him culturally was when Saturday Night Live did yeah. the um, did the skit where they have the guys from Chicago doing oh, yeah. this show, you know. Uh, yeah, it's just that, that that cemented his place within the sort of larger culture as Just an had another heart attack that makes a baker's dozen, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bears 187 to negative two. <laughs> so. um, and Michael Jordan joined them on that, I believe, one time. Yes, uh, yes. So uh, uh, Mark uh, Bavaro. Bavaro, tight end for the Giants, part of their Super Bowl teams, 85 to 94. Okay. okay. Uh, Clyde Lovett? Lavellet. Lavellet. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Played from 1953 to 1964 in the NBA, so he was a center. Nice, nice. Uh, Alexander Mogilny. Yeah, are you familiar with him at all? You're, you're my hockey guy. Played yeah. from '86 to 2006. He was one of the first Soviets to play. Okay. In the NHL. Yeah, I don't, I don't recognize that name, but he has a very typical hockey career that just seems to go on forever. Yeah, yeah. And then our Ohio State entrant, which. Interesting fact coming from him. John Frank was a tight end from 1980 to 1983. Okay. A modestly successful career. Nothing to write home about. Don't think he played in the NFL at all. But what's notable about John Frank is that he helped establish the national bobsled team for Israel. Well, of course. If there's any country that screams bobsled, it's certainly Israel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're not going to be as notable as say Jamaica, <laughs> but I mean, I, there's just so many questions I have when I, when I read that little fun fact. I'm like, how? Like, why <laughs> is this guy connected with bobsledding? Oh yeah. Why is it in Israel? Like, just all sorts of questions that I have. That so, is interesting. Who you got? Oh, probably Dicka. Yeah, you got to. It, go. it feels like Doc Coach. Yeah, it feels like Dick is the only yeah. the only way forward here. Yeah, yeah. He also, you remember, he coached for the Saints. You remember that mm. late uh, late nineties, I think. Okay. And he, what he's most famous for is he basically gave up all of his draft picks to draft Ricky Williams, running back out of Texas, who won the um, Heisman Trophy, and he turned out to be not a full on bust, but pretty close in the NFL, in part because he. he 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 liked the weed a little too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, <laughs> liked to smoke. Yes. So uh, Ditka it is. One thing you liked. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but uh, the 30 for 30 short, it's 30 minutes. It's free on uh, Hulu. I even think it's on YouTube, quite frankly, uh, called First Pitch with hmm. uh, which W. Worth your time. Yep. I am going to go with my life group. Okay. 
I have uh, just been so grateful these past few weeks um, for the uh, encouragement and just the 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 sweet Christian community that we've experienced in our life group. Even as we've had some difficult situations to kind of walk through and um, grateful for um, just how our life group has kind of rallied around uh, to provide encouragement and uh, to step in and, and care hmm. as, as much as possible. So uh, just grateful for that, grateful for uh, the leadership of Jordan in Indiana, mm. who's our life group leader. So thankful for that. But well, John, are we about ready to call Mission Accomplished here? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked some football. Welcome back, football. We have uh, talked 9-11. We've talked the coach, Mike Dicka. Mike Dicka. Da Bears. <laughs> we've talked an ESPN 30 for 30 short. We've talked about life group and experiencing community within the body of Christ. So I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.